The Courage to Lead, episode 130. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Arlen here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a great week. Um, I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Greg Westmoreland. Greg graduated from Texas A&M in 1992 with a degree in engineering. Since then, he has more than 25 years of experience in construction management, with the last eight years focus being on retail and restaurant construction for notable clients like Choice Hotels, Extended Stay America, Chipotle Mexican Grill, BBVA Compass, Circle K, Staples, Joanne Fabrics, McDonald's, 7-Eleven, and others. Uh, as CEO, he is responsible for managing corporate accounts throughout the United States. Greg, welcome to the show. Mm, thank you. Um, good to have you here. So you, Texas A&M, big school. Love that school. I've got a, a, a few. Uh, in fact, one of the guys that used to be on the radio here in Atlanta, uh, Neil Bortz, I think was a big Texas fan. And he mm-hmm. used to talk about Texas A&M all the time. It was a great place. I had a great time there. I grew up in Houston, and it's about an hour and a half or so northwest out of Houston. And, you know, so it was pretty easy for me to go there. Uh, met my wife there, you know, all my friends. And, you know, I graduated in 92, um, but uh, I was actually class in 1991. You know, okay. My kids always say, oh, are you a, you know, five and a half years? Are you a doctor? Is it? No, no. <laughs> Took my time. <laughs> Just took my time. <laughs> I know what that's like. No worries. All right. Well, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about uh, kind of how you got your start, talk about your engineering, how you got into construction, um, how you've grown your business, and uh, lots of other stuff. But before we get started, I've got 10 questions uh, that I want to ask. These are questions that I ask every one of my guests, questions made popular on the TV show Inside the Actor's Studio, where the host James Lipton asks these questions of his Hollywood guests from TV, film, and stage. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So Greg, if you're ready, question number one, what is your favorite word? Wow. Favorite word. Um, well, it wouldn't be anything long or extravagant. Um, an insight into me, I'm a terrible speller. So I would probably <laughs> go for something simple like family. Okay. That's good. that's a great word. What is your least favorite word? Uh um, I'm going to go with synonym, okay. which is, uh, the word I can spell for the, instead of the word I want to use. <laughs> okay. Um, what turns you on? Hmm. Uh, I'm going to say challenges. Uh, you know, I like to always go after new and exciting things. Um, I'm an avid learner, avid listener to podcasts. I really don't read very much, but I do listen to a lot of podcasts. So those kind of things of hey, what's new out there, what's going on. And it, I'm, uh, I'll give you some examples. I listened to a bunch of podcasts coming back from Houston the other day, one on the Arctic Fox and then mm-hmm. the other on uh, behavioral economics. So pretty wide range. That's awesome. That's great. Um, all right. What turns you off? Mm. Um, spoke about this a little bit when we were discussing before you started, but, uh, confirmation bias. You know, I think that's a huge character flaw in our society. And when I try to, you could tell very quickly when you're trying to work with someone, if they're on board or off board by the 
the first few reactions. So, you know, someone who is just so blind that they can't see, you know, what you're trying to talk with them about or share with them that it becomes a, so that absolutely is, it really burns me. Yep. I'm with you. All right. What sound or noise do you love? Mm, love. Wow. Um, yeah, it's going to sound a little soft, but you know, babies, <laughs> the sounds babies make. Yep. What sound or noise do you hate? Oh, that one's an easy one. I cannot stand the sound of gum popping. You know, okay. When someone like blows a bubble in their mouth and then pops it in their mouth at that snap. But for some reason, I'm sure there's, it's a trigger to childhood somewhere, but I cannot stand that sound. Got it. All right. Question seven. What is your favorite curse word? Um, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I'm not going to say that I'm wholesome and don't have any because I really like them all. <laughs> I try to have cut back on using them, but I would say uh, anything that rhymes with duck. Okay. Well, I'm with you. All right. Question eight. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Oh, man. That's a good question, too. Um, probably overconfident in some areas, but I think I'd be good at a lot of things. So uh, watching the Winter Olympics, I thought I'd be really good at curling. Watched okay. that the other day. Probably wouldn't be. Uh, glass blowing. I think okay. I'd be good at that. <laughs> so really off the wall stuff that just would be so different than, you know, my day to day. Nice. Yeah. There's a curling place, a uh, training place up here in Atlanta. We went to, it is a lot harder than it looks. It is I'm sure it is, but I thought I would be good at it. Just <laughs> look. All right. What profession would you not like to do? Oh, I would not like to do. Um, and, don't think I would like being an accountant or anything cubicle farm driven. Yeah. Yeah. That would not be my role. Anything like that. Absolutely. All right. Final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Oh, welcome. Welcome. <laughs> anything, glad anything you... short of that would be yes. a little concern. Welcome. Yes. We've been waiting on you to get here. <laughs> awesome. All right. Greg, we're going to, like I said, we're going to come back, talk about how you got your start, uh, why you chose engineering, how you've used that to build your company and some of the things you've done and uh, where you're going from here. And then at some point, we're going to transition into talking about courage and leadership. Okay. Sound good? All Very right. Good. All right. We'll talk about that and more right after this. So listeners, stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Greg Westmoreland. Greg, thanks again for agreeing to be on the show. So tell me, how did you select engineering? Is that something that uh, runs in your family or is that just something you knew as a kid? That's what you wanted to do. I wouldn't say I knew it as a kid. I've always been a tinkerer, taking things apart, trying to put them back together, playing with electricity, you know. So I've always been that kind of mindset of, of how do things work and how do things go together. And um, so when I went to school, I thought I was much smarter than I am. So I'd pick some harder engineering <laughs> disciplines. Found out quickly I was not. 
and there was an engineering um, a degree starting at A&M at the time called industrial distribution, engineering tech. And they had a 90% placement rate at the time. And I thought, you know, I would like to really get a job at the end of this. So that's what I chose. And nice. they finally, after a while, gave me a degree and sent me on my way. Excellent. And so what did you do right out of school? Right out of school, I worked for a large company called Brown and Root. Um, they merged a couple of times. I think they're known as Kellogg Brown and Root now, but did uh, engineering, field engineering type work for them out on projects all across the country. They moved me coast to coast a uh, couple of times, okay. you know, with them just on site, massive projects, $300 million type things, you know, wow. one after another. So wow. did a lot of that. And so the engineering you do, is that uh, like building construction engineering? Are you working on the, the grounds or what, what is it you're working on? Uh, well, at the time I was field engineering, which was um, submittals and, you know, testing and things like that, quality control, not doing the calculations. You know, I didn't have a slide rule for your older listeners or an HP calculator for my age, uh, but just basic stuff, you know, checking things, quantities, specifics or specifications and things like that. But, you know, I haven't done much of it in 20 years. You know, since then, now I use more my uh, accounting classes that I got D's in both in, <laughs> more so than any engineering I used to do. And so, okay, so um, when did you start your your business? Was it? Uh, good story. Um, I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, working for a, a pretty large company called Syntex Construction at the time. They've been, I think, Balfour Beatty bought them when I was there. And I was running a group uh, and we were constructing retail kind of stuff I do now, a lot of banks and things like that all over the country. And I was heading up that group. Well, they got bought and they decided to get out of that business. So I moved back to Texas from North Carolina, which is into the Dallas-Fort Worth area. That's where my, fam- my wife's family is. So we moved back to here and I was doing some uh, construction administration, administration owners representative type work for a smaller company out of Austin. And uh, my big client at the time uh, tracked me down and said, hey, you know, y'all left and now no one, I don't have anyone to do this work. If you put your team back together, you can get back in business and off we go. And that was 15 years ago. So that's how I got started by the request of a longtime big client. Nice. Very cool. Well, reading that list of some of the companies you've worked for and construction projects you've been on, uh, pretty impressive. Do you have one that stands out in your mind that you really enjoyed? Uh, I do. It's um, Hopefully none of my other ones will be listening to this. And it, <laughs> I, I hope they're all them. listening, but yeah, they True. can come on for a rebuttal if they want. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Joanne Fabrics has been with us for a long time. Uh, right. You know, we've worked with them all over the country and we do tiny jobs and big jobs. And I think we've done 200 projects for them over the years. So uh, the loyalty and the the reputation that we have with them and it goes, people leave and the next person just calls and says, I I hear you're the guy. I said, well, then let's go back to work. So I'd say that they're pretty close to my heart. Very cool. And so are you doing ground up construction or are you going into existing buildings and, and redoing? 
We do both. Um, We do do ground up construction. Uh, We do remodels. We do renovations. We do finish outs, which is going into an empty shell building and turning it into whatever it may be. So everything and anything in in that same chain. Wow. Yeah, years ago, my wife and I, when we first uh, came, settled back into Atlanta, uh, we looked at a big... uh, building that we were planning on building like our loft apartment above and it would be retailed or a bank or something like that on mm-hmm. the downstairs floor. And we had an inspector come in and he said the entire fascia of the building was peeling away. You could see when you look up how it starts off with a small gap and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And he goes, walk away, walk yeah. away now. <laughs> run. Yeah. Run. Don't go stand in front of that. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you come across things like that? In, oh, in the yes. Buildings? Yeah. Yes, we, we have a couple of clients, Mod Pizza, which is another client that we do quite a bit of work for. And they'll, they'll find real estate and go, hey, come look at this. Uh, tell us if this is workable. And we'll go, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> I know it's a great site and everybody, it's a, you're emotionally attached to it because it would be really cool. But no, don't do yeah. that. Wow. Yeah. And most of the times, I mean, I know in, in commercial or uh, residential real estate, if there's an empty lot somewhere, it's mm-hmm. empty for a reason. There's something about that you probably can't build on or don't want to build on. So very cool. So working with these uh, businesses and the executives that are running the businesses and stuff, um, do you have to do a lot of education for them on maybe their idea, why their idea won't work? Uh, some. Uh, you know, we, I, we, I'll put that into two different categories. You know, we have a mature client which is someone you don't, they know what they're doing. They know the process. You don't have to then, you know, a not mature. I don't like the word immature, Mm -hmm. but so uh, not as mature client where you have to say, okay, you know, have you executed the lease? Where are you? And we'll work with them through that all the way. We do do some franchisee work for some of our corporate clients. And most of the time that's who we're doing that with helping them walk away from bad deals or understand what they're getting into. And you have projects all over the U.S.? We do. We work all over the U.S. Most of our work's Texas, Oklahoma, New Mexico. That's probably 70% of our projects are in that range. But we're, we'll go to California. We're in New York right now, Indiana, just all over the place. But those are for repeat loyal clients that you know, we don't go looking for work in New York. But you know, if Joanne's Fabrics, which is who's taking us there right now, says, will you yeah. go do this? We say, yes, we will. Nice. Very cool. To build up, yeah, the relationships like that, that's important. Very cool. How many people do you have working for you? Uh, I think we're around 25 right now. Okay. You know, about half in the office, half out on projects. Nice. Hiring's a big problem right now. I'm sure some of your other guests have talked about that. Uh, Yeah. I was wondering about that because I know some of the, like a lot of my clients are um, in the building trades. So mm-hmm. plumbers, electricians, uh, builders, remodelers, roofers, HVAC, they struggle to find people. Um, same with you? Uh, very much so. Very much so. Superintendents is who I struggle with the most, which is the, you know, if someone was to draw a picture of one, it'd be an old gruffy guy. Sadly, they'd probably draw me. Uh, <laughs> out, and they have, they don't make those. There's not a school for them. There's right. not a program that says, oh, okay, here's your here's your superintendent certificate. So it has to be someone who came up in the trades and worked in, in one of my theories is, is, you know, in the eighties and nineties, we pushed everyone had to go get a college degree. Mm-hmm. Got to go to college, got to go to college. Well, yeah. 
So we didn't put anyone in the trades. And now your trades, your electricians, your plumbers, <clears throat> those kind of things are starting to suffer because that group that was doing it is retiring very quickly. And no one is behind them replacing them. Because we, for as a country for a while, frowned on trade schools. You know, it wasn't college <laughs> trade school, but it, uh, it's, a, it's a problem we have in the industry completely, you know, coast to coast because we didn't do that. It's very hard to find electricians and everything right now. And I tell a lot of young guys, you know, that if college is not for you, go to trade school, learn a great trade and take management and business and accounting mm-hmm. classes on the side. And you can open your own place and yeah. it's endless you know, reward for you, but Absolutely. that's very hard to do. Well, it is. But like I said, you've got families pushing towards college. You've got a lot of schools pushing towards the college degree. And uh, when you start talking about the trades, a lot of times they, they say, well, I, I don't want my kid to be limited. It's, what limit? You know, yeah. you can you can do as much as you want. Right. Mm-hmm. If you get out there and get the skills. Yeah. The, and really, the demise of the unions had a big play in it yeah. that where you know, there's no tr- tradesmen or craft or training or, you know, apprenticeship programs in most cities, Texas, where I am, hardly any. So that was another downfall to it, that it just, that source, they're not there anymore. Wow. Yeah. One of my clients, we're uh, putting together his little business model. He's an electrician, commercial uh, mainly, but he does, you know, service calls and then construction and Mm -hmm. lighting, you know, refurbishments and, and things like that, retrofits he's bringing in a lot of apprentices, trying to get apprentices in people who have no skills at all. He'll try to train them up. And if they show some initiative, he'll move them over to the service side, you know, and then teach them how to do a lot of the commercial stuff. But it's, it's finding those people who want to come in, you know, because they've heard all along, Oh, you don't want a blue collar job. You don't want to, you know, you'll be working too hard. You'll get calluses, you'll get dirty, you get sweaty, go for an office job. And uh, I don't know, like you said, I think we're, we're losing a lot to society, not having those people in there. It, very much so. I have three sons, 27, 23, and 21. So I can speak of that generation very fluently. Um, they don't want those jobs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, their friends don't want those jobs. They don't have those jobs. You know, they're looking for, especially now coming out of 2020, they're looking from work from home, work remote mm-hmm. jobs where you know, low stress, pretty easy, no commute, can live anywhere, great lifestyle. So the the job of, you know, go unload that truck and then we're going to do this. Well, it's very rare. I did yeah. find one uh, graduated from Sam Houston not too long ago. Great kid. Uh, and he just flat told me, I cannot be in an office sitting in front of a computer every day. Yeah. Well, I have an opportunity for you. <laughs> And he's nice. done fantastic for us. Awesome. Yeah, we um, work with some of the local schools around here. They're trying to have days, you know, where they used to have the colleges come in and talk. Now they're trying to get the trades to come in and talk about how this is an option. Keep it open as an option. You know, even if it's only a short-term thing, you can learn a good skill that will help you later on. Like you said, take business classes to help if you ever want to start your own business later or, or move up into management. That's the mm-hmm. best way to do it. You know, Germany, and I'm assuming you'll have someone fact mm-hmm. check me on this at some point. <laughs> uh, I was in Germany, this was years ago, and they, they talked about how at some point in your education, fairly early on, high, for us, I think it'd be high school freshman kind of range, 
you take tests and they talk to you and you go on two different tracks. You go mm-hmm. on the trade track or you go on the college you know, track. And right. you know, they accept that at an earlier point where here we don't, we, we believe everybody is college material yeah. and we will push them that way. We will pay for it that way until they, and, and we push everyone until they fail at it or get mm-hmm. out of it. So when you fail at it, now you don't have that trade to fall back on. You know, and that's that's what I see a lot of and my kids' friends, I see a lot of it. You know, he should have never gone to college, he should have just done this, but everybody went, he went, right? He didn't finish. Now he's stuck in between. But yeah, you have these kids that you know, if that happens, they realize college isn't for them, then they're kind of stuck taking whatever opportunities are available to them. Um, but they also have these huge um education bills, mm-hmm. you know, to pay off. And a lot of times finding a job, even with a college degree is tough. I mean, there are people with law degrees, you know, working in fast food, working in restaurants, you know, there's no money back guarantee on college. Should be sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) So you have 25 people working for you. If I was to bump into any of those folks and ask them what type of leader you are, what would they tell me? What kind of leader are you? Uh, I'm going to answer that in several ways. That's a good one. Um, internally, in my own mind, I would designate myself as a reluctant leader. Okay. It's not something I've ever, uh, I'm, a, I'm an introvert by nature, but I practice being an extrovert, you know, just as you exercise, you know, cardiovascular muscles. And that's mm-hmm. how I maintain my extrovert life, you know, that I do have to have. Um, but I never really, you know, if there's a room, full of people and they're up there scanning, boy, who's going to lead us? I'm not raising my hand, <laughs> but eventually if it comes to us, like, okay, I'll do it. Um, now what people will see is that I'm a, I would think, I would hope, you know, they're going to say thoughtful leader measured, um, you know, not, I don't get aggressive. I don't panic. Uh, I can handle stress. So a very calm and collected leader. That will move things move things forward for them. Very cool, and I mean that's really what a leader's job is to clear the way, right, mm-hmm. for the employees to be as successful as they can be. That's good. You talked earlier about wanting to learn, liking to learn new things all the time and stuff. That's one of the courage types that we talk about is uh, intellectual courage, the courage to set aside long-held beliefs, set aside knowledge you have now to make room for brand new knowledge because there's always new things happening, right? Um, There's other types of courage that we as leaders have to tap into. There's um, empathetic courage, um, moral courage, of course, social courage, saying what needs to be said when it needs to be said, even if it's unpopular. Um, You came out of college, you had a few different jobs, and then you had the opportunity to open up uh, your own business. That's courageous. For some people, that that would be courageous, right? Other people want to work the nine to five, have somebody make the decisions for them and stuff. And at some point in your career, you decided, no, I have an opportunity. I want to take this opportunity and do it. Where do you think that came from? Um, that's a good one. Um, I've always been entrepreneurial. I uh, in school, you know, I'd have three jobs. And I still say I'm afflicted with, I don't know, I'm sure there's an exact name for it, but if I walk by somewhere and I see a help wanted sign, 
even though I'm the CEO of my own company, I look at it and go, wonder what they need done. You know, yeah. and, it, and it starts running. I could probably pick up a couple hours of shift. You know, so that spirit's always been in me. Now, the courage to do it, I remember the moment exactly. And I remember who I was standing by every second of it as if it happened yesterday. I was talking to a friend of mine named Neil, and he was a very interesting guy. I really enjoyed being around him. But he, he installed... Um, seamless gla- uh, glass shower enclosures. Okay. That was what he did. He did it pretty much by himself. He knew exactly what he charged and did great with it, but he was kind of king of his own kingdom doing it. And I said something to him and he's like, well, what's stopping you? He's like, ah, oh, you know, what if it didn't work? This and, you know, all your, your basic him and haws where you try to talk yourself out of something. He said, well, the worst that can happen is it doesn't work and you go and get a job again. Said, mm-hmm. you know, so, are you, so quit being afraid of failure. Like, okay, so what would I, if I wasn't afraid to fail, would I do it? Absolutely. So I did it. (laughs) And here we are talking to each other today, but that's where it happened. And it was just getting past the, being able to accept failure and not, you know, think it's going to ruin your life and you're going to label yourself as a failure every day afterwards. Sure. No, that's great. My wife and I have had that conversation before. What's the worst that could happen and could we live with it? If it mm-hmm. did, it's it like, really, yeah, we could do it. Why not? Yeah. There's a really good podcast. I think it's a Ted talk where it talks about fear setting. And if you have mm-hmm. anxiety about something, instead of listing all the things that can go wrong, you can list those still, but say, all right, what do I do if this happens? What do I do if yeah. this happens? And once you have that plan and go, well, all right, I can handle anything that's going to go wrong at this point. Yeah. And you're, you can move forward without being so anxious. Absolutely. Hard to do, easy, you know, I can say it easily. But right. But it is, it is a, a good exercise. I had a guy on the podcast a few weeks ago that talked about that, removing that fear element, the anxiety of it mm-hmm. by, by examining, okay, if this happened, would you be okay? Could you, you know, would you live? If this happens, would you live? If this, and you realize that, yeah, you know, I, it may suck for a little while, but I could probably get through it, you know? Yes. Very cool. Um, are there types of courage you think? necessary for entrepreneurs, people who want to start their own business? Is there a type of courage you would, would tell them to either try to find or grow in themselves? Uh, I would say so. You know, the type of the courage to take other people's lives and have other people depend on you, that's difficult. You know, that's a lot of stress for people that people can't handle. Um, you know, the courage to take risks and the courage to be able to handle stress, which is the stress when a lot of people fail at. Yeah. You, if you're your own business owner, you have to be able to handle the stress of the highs and the lows. You know, so I would say that's another big one. And I think what you said first about, you know, you're responsible for your employees. That is what really puts a lot of stress on business owners. It's, it's one thing if you're a solopreneur doing it all yourself, you overstretch yourself. You have to work extra hours or something. That's one thing. But when you have those lives of all those people, you know, have to have the jobs coming in to keep everybody um, engaged. You have to have, you know, pick the right uh, medical insurance for everybody, things like that. That's a lot of stress for an owner. It is. You, you try not to think about it in, in too much completeness, but yes, the decisions I make, the risk I take affect different people and their families and, you know, everybody they support and on down the line. Now, not that, you know, I'm not, you know, it's not a kingdom, you know, they could always 
you know, they could get another job and everything would be fine. I'm not looking at it like that, but it, it would impact them adversely. And that's, a, that's, that's pressure. Yeah, definitely pressure. So if you had it to do over again, if you could go back to Texas A&M, would you go back in through engineering? Would you do the same thing or would you go a different direction? Uh, I would probably do the same thing. You know, I've gotten that question before, you know, even back as far as childhood and things like that. It's like, you know, I'm the sum of many, many events <laughs> and, uh, you know, some good, some bad. But, you know, I am the kind of person that I will try to always make something positive come out of anything that happens. It's like, and my wife, it drives her crazy. Something bad will happen. And I'll go, that is fantastic. Look at this. We're going to be able to do this now. We don't. We no longer have to worry about that because that's not going to happen. So fantastic. That's off the table. Let's look at something really exciting now. Nice. You know, there's a uh, old movie. I think it's What About Garp? I think was the name of it. Robin Williams is in it. Yeah. Again, have your fact checker, please. <laughs> uh, he's about to buy a house. And a plane comes and crashes into the second story of the house. And, you know, the realtor's standing there defeated and he turns around and he goes, I'll take it. And, you know, everybody just stops and looks and goes, what are the chances of another plane hitting this house? It is now disaster proof. Like, I love it. Yep. There's <laughs> always a bright side if you look for it. There is right? a bright side. <laughs> that is awesome. Love that. So uh, what's next for you? You've got a lot of stuff going on. You've got a lot of, of things. Um, are you looking to grow, expand? We are expanding quickly, uh, too quickly right now. And that's really mostly the economy, you know, is driving it. Uh, as much as I would like to present myself as a CEO that's mastered not actually writing the business cycle of the economy, I'm not. Economy goes down, I go down. Economy goes up, I go up. Um, so we are expanding right now. I'm really looking at how we diversify through this expansion, different markets, geographical different, you know, retail versus restaurant, you know, we're getting into some light industrial stuff right now and some things like that. I'm looking at some multifamily projects and things mm -hmm. like that. So looking at different parts, but as we expand, um, but with expansion comes lots of problems and other things that you don't realize, you know, are out there that, you know, when, whenever something changes that drastically, you know, uh, different things are exposed. Like right. I wasn't worried about that before. Now all of a sudden, you know, I don't have that. Now I got to, we got to worry about this now because yeah. that things are different. So do you have your, your building teams that you send out or do you send out like a, a foreman, a job site foreman and, and then bring in locals to do some of the work for you? Uh, we send out superintendents on every job site and okay. we send some subcontractors with them that we know and have relationships with. And then we hire locals also. So a pretty good mix, but good. yes, we do send out a, sort of team, you know, one yeah. guy actually works for one of the others are, you know, relational teams. Yeah. No, I like that, that business model. I think it's a lot, it's a lot more flexible than trying to get your guys to one place or another, right? You can have, yes. like you said, your, your form around. Very cool. Good deal. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, all the different companies you've worked for and stuff like that. It's amazing. Um, any big markets right now, any areas of the country that are booming? Um, yeah. Being in Texas, Texas is always booming. Yeah. You know, so it's, you know, it, I do go to other markets, but it's really hard to walk past five jobs in Texas to go somewhere <laughs> else. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Texas is really booming. The convenience store market is growing rapidly. Restaurants are growing rapidly. I try to, 
say it's pretty much any market that Amazon hadn't figured out how to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're still in good shape. Absolutely. Now I know with COVID, a lot of businesses have uh, tailored back on their office space because people are working remotely now. Have you guys seen a lot of that around where offices are, are vacant uh, now? Quite a bit. And you know, from our experience, we, we shut down a couple of times in 2020 and everything we have is cloud-based. So anybody can grab their laptop at any moment and go mm-hmm. work anywhere else it's, as long nice. as there's internet. So we're, we became pretty good at it. But in my peer groups, the, uh, anyone who has office space will say very quickly, as soon as that lease is up, we're cutting back to half. You know, right. uh, remote has been such, you know, such a blessing to them. That, you know, people didn't think it would work, but it really does work. And it's a mindset change yes. for them. And uh, I got this question this morning when we were talking to someone, I was interviewing someone in, for a job in the office and they were asking about remote and things. And so what, you know, I've really changed my mindset in the last 18 months based on it. It's like, we're not, I'm not trading your hours, your time for money. You know, I'm trading, I'm trading deliverables and tasks and production for money. Now, if you're working remote and that takes you four hours and you have some free time, that's fantastic. I'm very happy for you. If you're slow and you procrastinate and it takes you 12 hours, I feel bad for you, but I still need the same results right? because you're going to get the same pay either way. So it's a definite mindset change of just because you're sitting under some fluorescent lights from eight to five doesn't mean the same thing anymore. No, not at all. And that was one thing I think a lot of managers, I was a a consultant, so I'd go out to different client sites. And a lot of times we would offer, hey, we can work remotely and save you the travel time and the hotels and meals and everything like that. And they would say, absolutely not. I want you right here where I can see you. Mm -hmm. Does that really help? I mean, if if things are being delivered exactly when you need them and they're they're right and everything like that, does it matter that I'm sitting 10 feet away from you or not? And yeah. you're right. I think it's a mind shift. A lot of people you have to get to comfortable with. with the, and I can't stand this term, but you know the new normal. Mm-hmm. But you have to really get comfortable that that's not the way society works anymore. That's not what society supports. That's not what kids coming out of college certainly don't support yeah. that lifestyle anymore. No, definitely not. All right. Final question: If you could sum up your uh, your company culture. In one word, what do you think it would be? In one word. I'd say dependable. Okay. You know, within each other, we all depend on each other. We, you know, we, you can depend on the company. You can depend on each other to do what they're supposed to do. You know, it, there's not, it's not a roller coaster around here. You know, pretty much what you think is going to happen around here happens. Nice. You know, and that's, that's how we are. We have 23 fundamental behaviors and don't ask me to recite them because <laughs> right. they're written down for me. I came up with them, but, uh, and I've, and full disclosure, a lot of them are, you know, Stephen Covey type stuff mm-hmm. and things like that. So, sure. um, but we go over each one, uh, once a week, there's a new one and it's kind of like a, treat it like a prayer before a meal. So if you're going to have a meeting of three or more, you go over that week's fundamental behavior, discuss it a little bit. How's it impacting what we're talking about? And you move on. So we have those in place that really keep us all focused on, you know, this is how we're supposed to behave if we're going to all depend on working for each other and with each other. Nice. 
That's cool. I like the idea of the touch base before you start the meetings. That's good. It sets Very a cool. tone yeah. you know, for the week and what you're about and what you're trying to focus on. Absolutely. Some of them are a little goofy. Well, you got to have that though. You got to have that. Oh, yeah. We skip past those weeks pretty fast. <laughs> Very cool. Awesome. Well, Greg, this has been great. If, uh, if people want to get in touch with you and learn more about uh, your business or if there are clients that are listening, that's like, hey, we're looking for a good builder to team up with. How can people find you? How's the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, best way, wbuilders. That's w-builders.com. Okay. That's our website. And we're on Instagram under the same and Facebook under the same. And you can always look me up on LinkedIn and it'll take you all to it. We have a pretty robust connection of social media marketing you know, platform. We're a service company. Really, when you boil us down, we don't sell anything, you know, just our expertise and services. So we don't have a lot of presence, you know, for that kind of stuff. But we yeah. try to publicize ourselves so people can find us if they nice. want to. And you say you're looking specifically for, was it the supervisors now? We're looking for field superintendents. Superintendents, okay. Traveling awesome. old crusty guys with construction experience. That sounds good. <laughs> I like that. All right. Well, I'm going to have all that information and links um, to your website, Instagram, Facebook, your LinkedIn profile. I'll have all that in the show notes so people can reach out to you. And uh, again, thanks. Thanks for being on the podcast. It's been great. Well, thanks for your patience with me. We had to reschedule once, but we got it in today. Absolutely. Yeah, this is great. All right. Listeners, hope you guys were taking notes. Uh, definitely check out uh, Greg Westmoreland and his company, see what they've done. And if you know anybody, field superintendent, pass them along. That'd be great. And be sure to share this episode with your family, friends, and colleagues and stick around because there's always more coming. And that's it for me, Coach Harlan saying so long for now. Thank you.